podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. Boom, the boys are back. I hope everyone had a blessed Easter weekend. Uh, This is dropping on uh, Monday the 10th, I think. I think that's the day. Yeah, Monday the 10th. Uh, Just in case any crazy breaking news happens, this is being recorded at 8.08 on April 7th. Um, So, yeah, just keep that in mind just in case, you know, Every single, you know, portal person wants to come to K-State and all of a sudden the entire roster is filled for next year. Don't think it's going to happen. And hell, if we get three portal pickups between now and Monday, I'll I'll probably have to just, you know, dust off the mic and do a show. But in the meantime, I thought there was no better person to get on the pod to talk about the basketball season that was. He is one of the most recurring guests in the history of Bosco's Boys. He made several appearances when I asked for the five-year anniversary Mount Rushmore of guests and personalities. He is a member of the K-State Sexy Bald Club. He's one of the best people I know. And ever since I found this out, I always mention it. His son hates that I give him these great intros. It is the man, the myth, the legend, Jimmy Goheen. You might know him as KSU underscore fan on Twitter and message boards. Jimmy, how are you doing on this Friday morning? Get to kick your feet up a little bit, day off of school. So uh, how's the morning treating you? Morning's nice. Uh, It's good to sleep in a little bit and then uh, have my coffee and uh, looking forward to doing this show. Um, Kind of gotten over the, uh, the sadness of, of seeing this sitting the basketball season finish the way it did. Um, but you know, now you get more of a chance to be a little more reflective and look back at the good that we had, even, even if we, we didn't go as far as we wanted to go, but, uh, it's, it's always good to look back and see, uh, what the team did well, what, what the team can get better at and, you know, kind of think about what the staff might do going forward. Definitely. Yeah. I I have coffee. It's actually my first batch of homemade cold brew of the season. Um, Made it, you know, I was like, man, I need to get a, get some cold brew going back when it like almost hit 90 here in Johnson County earlier this week. And then it's been more spring-like ever since, but I I love cold brew. I love coffee regardless. Uh, No free ads, but shout out to standard issue coffee, bonehead Nick, the coffee fiend. Um, he, he roasts a good batch of coffee. So let's actually start there. Um, at this point, we're almost a full two weeks um, removed from the game. You were there in Madison Square Garden. Just walk me through uh, your feelings watching that game because, uh, I mean, you and I had a little bit of back and forth. I'll be honest, I melted down harder than I thought I was going to. I, I didn't really do much on Twitter, but I kind of melted down on KSO a little bit. I was really in my feels. I didn't watch a second of any of the final four games um 
you know, I, I feel, but, but I've, I've reflected, I've gone through all my emotions on the mic. So, so let's talk to you. You were there, you were in the arena. Um, what was the vibe like uh, before the game and just kind of, you know, early on, uh, you know, Florida Atlantic got it going. Um, what, what were the vibes like uh, for you in that first half, the buildup and then the first half of that game? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I was pretty confident going into the game. I thought this would be the <laughs> yeah, year. Would. I, I have a couple messages. I have a couple messages yeah. from you. I'm not going to read them, but you you were <laughs> definitely feeling yourself. You're definitely confident. I just thought this was going to be the time we got it done. You know, you're playing another mid-major in the lead eight. Um, or, you know, and, and you think eventually you're going to snap that streak because – it it just looking back, it's crazy to see how many times K State has been to the lead eight and not gotten to the final four. Um, this would this was eight straight losses. Um, so so I had confidence going in, and then you know they Florida Atlantic really came out strong. I was not completely surprised by that, but maybe I was a little surprised that they looked like the team with more energy early in the game, and. Uh, it wasn't that K-State wasn't playing hard, but I just thought they were playing harder. Um, and, you know, especially getting after rebounds and loose balls, which, you know, I think is a major storyline in this game, um, and making shots. But K-State kind of handled it, got back in it, and, you know, at halftime you're only down by four, even though your defense has played pretty poorly. Um, so I felt good. I've, I felt that we weren't where we wanted to be going at halftime, but I was like, you know, this team has been down. I think we came back from halftime deficits eight or nine times this season and won games. So I thought, you know, this is going to be another one of those times that they do it. And for about 11 to 12 minutes, it looked like that might be the case. Yeah. So they, they come out of halftime super hot and I, I won't lie to you. I, I found myself kind of thinking, all right, Am I going to drive to Houston? Am I going to fly? You know, what what yeah. days am I going to take off work? I find myself feeling like that. But then, sure enough, um, I don't know if this is an inherited gene. I don't know what it was. Um, but during that media timeout where we're up like six or eight or whatever that number mm-hmm. was, I, I can't quite remember at this point, I see my little brother tweet, congratulations <laughs> to K-State going to the Final Four. And I'm like texting my dad. And, and I, I've – Grand, you're you're a big Jay Journo now, but you, you know what I like to do in the second half of uh, close games. I like to do plus minus every under four or every yeah. four minute segment. So I'm I'm sending them to my dad. You know, oh hey, plus six and plus whatever. Uh, so then I, after I send my dad that that update, I get on Twitter because I'm because uh, I was having to stream it since it wasn't over the antenna. So Twitter was ahead of me. The ESPN GameCast app in front of me. I see my brother say K-State's going to the final four. I send, I I grab a screenshot and I send it to him. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, everything's fine. Like, and and he's like confident. He's like, calm down. Everything's fine. And sure enough, from the moment I see that tweet, everything goes downhill. Um, What what was it like being in the building? But let's keep it positive. What was the atmosphere like in Madison Square Garden uh, for that first, you know, 10 minutes or so? as K-State just truly dominates the beginning of that second half? It, it was really amped up. Um, I, I think you could tell – you could see our kind of defensive pressure really start to, to bother 
Florida Atlantic because, you know, they were turning it over like crazy. Um, they ended up with 22 turnovers in the game and a turnover rate of 30%, which was their worst of the season. And they'd been pretty good at taking care of the ball. So you could see the effects of that pressure um, really uh, on on them on the offensive end. And uh, the, the crowd was really into it. There was a great K-State crowd. I mean, there was a good K-State crowd for the Michigan State game. And then I think even more people flew up just for Saturday to come. And I had a couple friends, a guy I went to college with came up just for the game. Uh, and we we had lunch together before the game that that day. So it was cool to see all these K-State fans make the trip. And uh, I would say slightly pro K-State crowd in the arena, because I think even some of the locals, because of the New York connection with K-State, were pulling for the cats as well. But it was loud. It was amped. Um, the energy was, was in K-State's favor. Uh, but, you know, I think Coach Tang talked about it in his presser the other day. We had four turnovers in a row there. We didn't score. We were up six to seven points at the time and had some opportunities to really stretch the lead maybe to double digits and maybe put them away. And uh, I really thought that was a story ultimately in the game is that we didn't take advantage because we still, I mean, we outscored them 30 to 15 off of turnovers. If you'd have told me before the game we outscored them by 15 off turnovers, I would have said, well, we're probably going to win this game by double digits. But it just didn't happen because of the rebounding issues that I'm sure um, everybody's reflected on. I'm sure the team has reflected on. And ultimately, that was the case. And down the stretch, they got stops. Kind of our offense got stagnant. And then they got every big offensive rebound that they needed to get to keep us from cutting the lead to less than a possession or even taking the lead. And then finally, uh, you know, it we give up the lead. Um, granted, we, we had a possession. We, ha- we had a shot to tie it. Um, and, well, we didn't have a shot to tie it. Yeah. We did not get the shot up. <laughs> but we had an opportunity uh, to tie it after they stormed back. And, and again, it was almost instantaneously. If it was like you're up eight and then down five, almost, uh, you know, at a snap of yeah. the finger. Um, so, but what was the em- emotions immediately after? Um, again, uh, eight straight elite eight losses. This is the four, it was the fourth straight one where we were the higher seed, the Vegas favorite. Um, just kind of what was going through your head uh, when the clock finally showed triple zeros. It was it was tough because it's the finality of the end. And then you know I'm sitting on the media row, two two rows from the court, and then you got to watch all these guys get their hats and set up the podium and celebrate and they're doing post-game interviews right in front of me with their media and the CBS crews and all that stuff. So that was tough. I was trying to focus on, you know, writing my post-game stuff and putting some thoughts together on that. And then you leave and you go to the back room and go to the press conference area and you see the guys come out, you know, obviously Noel and, and uh, Tomlin and coach Tang and, you just see the, the 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 kind of sadness on their faces as they try to answer questions about what happened, and that's tough. I mean, that's tough. It's got to be tough to be a player in that situation because you just lost, and you get what ten, fifteen minutes or whatever is a cool down period, and then you're in front of the cameras and and these guys asking questions, and uh, so it it was just not. I mean, it was 
you get you got some time to process and you know i was focusing on you know looking at what happened in the game and my little write-ups i do for kso and then you finish and and then uh it was about you know probably about a 10 minute block walk back to our hotel after derek young and i finished up and we walked back in silence we didn't say a word to each other and we were perfectly fine just being quiet <laughs> and then finally broke the ice and talked about it a little bit once we got back to the hotel but it's just you're so close to getting that final four and you know like you said you even had the ball down three at the end and you get a shot off and so just the finality of it ending like that was was tough yeah it, it definitely was tough um I've I've not watched a single second of basketball uh, since, um, but you know, starting to get over it. And, and let's let's talk more happy stuff. But before we do, uh, it's it's often called man happiness. I've called it the happiest place in the world. Where I think the happiest place in the happiest city in the world is Manhattan Brewing Company. I challenge anyone who is having a bad day to not go in there and leave with a smile on your face. Not only are they the best craft brewery in the entire state of kansas they have a super cool spot as you know you and i are the only two people to ever record a podcast at manhattan brewing company they have usually between 10 and 15 beers on tap they have a fully stocked bar they have the nicest staff and again it's a super cool space next time you're in manhattan get a couple pints get a couple crowlers to go and then of course every time you go to your local liquor store politely ask them if they have Manhattan Brewing Company four packs, and if they don't, bully them, but with compassion until they have it. All right, uh, like I said, let's do happier stuff. Macro, and and, and I'm going to ask some more pointed questions here in a second, but you and I talked before the season, uh, and I think after Keontae Johnson was added, both of us were thinking, all right, this, this should be or could be an NCAA tournament team, but that, that even that might've been a little optimistic because, you know, they weren't, they weren't on anyone's radar for preseason bracketology. It really wasn't until, you know, right before a conference play that they started showing up on any brackets or getting any votes or anything like that. Uh, but it, it exceeded all expectations, a, a third place finish in the big 12 and elite eight um, just when you look back on it as a macro, yes, very sad ending, but what are your emotions? What are your takeaways from how fun the season was? And according to Twitter, I mean, one of the, you know, whether it's most fun, whether it's the best, all this type of stuff, um, folks seem to like this season, maybe more than any season, except for the Jake and Denny Clemente elite eight or the Michael Beasley season. Um, this seemingly has, uh passed without any issue any of bruce's uh final four or uh championship teams or his elite eight run so what's your takeaway of just the quality and then also the entertainment value of this season yeah i think there's obviously going to be some recency bias because of uh how close we are to coming off of this year so i think that does factor into fans expectations and reflections on a season but I also think um, the the number of things that kind of push it over the edge, uh, the the style of play, uh, the dunks, uh, the faster pace, uh, the the high ranked wins, seven ranked wins. Uh, you beat two blue bloods basically in the tournament, even though they weren't ranked at the time. Um, you have 
special players like Noel and Johnson that, you know, are, you know, kind of face of the program type guys like Jake Pullen was, like Denny Clemente was, like Beasley was. Uh, and then you just have a super engaging, positive face of the program coach that, you know, I think plays a role. Uh, I think Frank was also a face of the program coach um, in a different way, but still a face of the program coach. I think I've said it on Twitter. Bruce was a fine coach, and I've never been one to bash Bruce, but he was never going to be a face of the program coach just because of his personality. And that was fine. But that does, to me, detract from your experience as a fan if you don't get as engaged into uh, every press conference is enjoyable because you know something fun is going to be said and something impactful by your head coach. So Look, I think I, that all plays into it. I, I truly, and, and people are going to think this is a joke. I actually thought Bruce's final year with the Pete the Cat and the Bamboo stuff. That was fun. I actually fun. think that was fun yeah. and impactful. If you guys, if people like actually kind of sit back and took the dorkiness out of Bruce, I, I actually think that he said no. some pretty impactful things that truly kind of changed my view. But to that point, every time Tang gets on a mic, I come away inspired. Yeah. Uh, so I just wanted to stand up for the Bamboo and Pete no, the Cat because. I know everyone makes jokes about it, but but I I kind of think in Bruce's <laughs> final year, he he said some stuff that actually changed my outlook, not just on following K State basketball, but kind of life in general. So I just wanted to stand up for Bruce a little bit in his final year. No, that that's true. And if you had a neutral, positive view on Bruce, you enjoyed that the Bruceisms. Uh, but the problem is the people that did not enjoy Bruce just bashed him with it, which was not any fun, and so. That that's part of the nature of having a coach that I would say ninety five percent of our fan base likes uh, everything about him. So that oh, okay, that you, you said everything. I, I thought you were going to say only ninety five percent of the fan base likes him in general. And I was like, man, I think you're shortchanging. But no, if you no, say ninety five percent, I'm not going to talk about it. But we saw no, the five percent oh, yeah. bad. Yes. Yes, yes. After yes. we lost, it was just stupid. But well, and, and, gonna, and that same five percent, it, it was all season long. By the way, mm -hmm. I, I think it was very, very in your yeah. face after the FAU yes. loss, yes. but it, it's been present since day one. Subtle jabs. But yes, yeah. yes. I, I understand that. Yep, yep. So, yeah, I, I would say that. And then now, now we're at the point where what's next? Like, what, you know, and, and that's going to be the fun part is watching the evolution of, of what this – because I think – what I really like about this staff is they're analytical and they're going to analyze every single facet of, of what they need to do to take a next step with this program. Now that doesn't guarantee we're going to be back in the second weekend next year or the top four team in the league, top three team in the league. But I know this staff is going to analyze everything they can to, to make sure the future is bright for K-State basketball. Yeah. And, and I, I kind of go back to, and, and I, I doubt they make the same mistake, but I almost kind of go back to one of those early videos where you saw how detailed they were because they were trying to craft out, okay, hey, what do we need to do in the non-conference to set mm -hmm. ourselves up to make the NCAA tournament? You could see them saying, hey, look, we need this, 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 and like here's here's kind of the toss-up. And it's interesting to see that type of stuff. I don't think that's going to make it to social media yeah. uh, this year. <laughs> I think – I think uh, I, I don't think we're going to get a sneak peek at the non-con schedule like we did last year. 
Um, but they do really analyze everything. And uh, you're, you're someone who analyzes stuff as well. So if you want to give an analytical number or if you just want to go with your heart and the eye test, but at what point in the season did you sit back and say, okay, this team could be something special? Was there like a moment? Was there a game? Was there something looking at the stats? What was that moment for you? I, I think looking back, it was it was a little – you know, I don't want to downplay it. It was a little bit of a fluky game, but the Texas win at Texas was the turning point for me um, just because of the nature of that game. Um, and, you know, winning, scoring 116 points and a ridiculous points per possession game, um, which, you know, we hadn't really seen out of this team. They'd been through the non-con. We were more of a defensive grinder, turn people over, team shot it decent but not great and then all of a sudden we have this breakout performance against Texas on the offensive end where Keontae and Noel and even Cam Carter are just hitting shots over the floor and uh, that was really the one that got my attention and then to follow that up with a win at Baylor in the same week uh, that was that was the the run where like man this team might be not only a NCAA tournament team, but a big 12 title contender and a team that can make a run. So I would say that was a turning point just because you had those two back-to-back games that were super high impact, super high performance offensively games that, you know, we really hadn't seen up to that point in the, in this, uh, this, this uh, season before that. Yeah. I, I, I kind of, th- that's when it went from, okay, make the NCAA tournament to, okay, let's make some noise for me. And, and it was just a super fun season. Um, this is something that I asked all the boneheads uh, in, in the last live show, which uh, anyone who is listening, um, we will be going live this Wednesday at 7 p.m. It's going to be kind of an entire sports season wrap-up show. Um, it might be the final live show. Um, we'll, we'll see if there's any... Uh, anything uh, worth talking about on the 19th or 26th, but Spotify live uh, is going to be shut down on April 30th. So color cast already kind of shut down. Um, I'm not going to do Twitter spaces um, unless we find a a new home for the live show. Um, Every show from here on out might be the final one. I'll I'll let folks know. and, And actually I'll say this. The final one will be on the 19th. I'll come up with some reason to talk to everyone on the 19th, uh, but we only have two live shows maybe ever again. So if you've ever wanted to participate, please try to join us Wednesday, 7 p.m. this week or the following week. But I asked all of them, what what is going to be like one or two of the highlights, whether it's a moment or a game that you're going to think about uh, five years from now when you're like, oh, wow, remember Jerome Tang's first season hey do you remember this what is that moment going to be for you um i would i would say the three lob dunks to finish games off oklahoma state kansas and uh, michigan state are obviously going to be up there that michigan state kentucky those two games put together in the nature of how K-State won those games. And of course, beating Kansas, um, going back and, and remembering beating Texas and Baylor and sweeping Baylor this year. 
Um, even even winning that uh, preseason tournament at the time seemed like a big deal, and and I'll remember it just because you know again won that game on a last second shot basically by Keontae against LSU. So so many of those type moments, and uh, and then just you know for me personally, just the opportunities to work with Derek Young at KSO and be able to go to those all four tournament games and see him play live, you know, close to the court. That's just something I'll never forget as well. Just the opportunity to, to be a big J Juno, as you call me. And uh, I'm more of a little J, but to, to see, to see those moments up close and personal. Um, it, it's, it's, there's so many great moments from this season, you know, it's going to always rank up there with 2010 to me as two of the best seasons I've seen in my life. Hopefully there's more coming, uh, but for sure, just the, the joy of seeing all of it take place um, will, will be those, but those moments, I mean, those the lob dunk thing is just ridiculous that we had three of those in one season. Well, so, you know, you have all those lob dunks basically winning games. Um, and we also set the single season record, I believe, for dunks, or at least since yeah. that stat was capped. Yeah. Naquan Tomlin being the number one dunker uh, in a season. Keontae. And again, I said it. I said it back towards the end of regular season. I'm like, look, we're just going to have to go to the national championship game. So, uh, you know, Keontae Johnson can finish number two. Well, Damn, I mean, he would have, he would have, and and we almost would. And I, I don't want to talk about it, but it's going to haunt me for the rest of my life that K State would have worn white the entire tournament. Um, but I don't yes. want to talk about it. We already kind of we, we did the sad. Let let's keep it happy. Um, and, and speaking of happy, um, let's let's talk about Keontae Johnson, Marquise Noel. Um, you know they they are. I mean, folks are still like, well, Keontae could technically come back. No, Keontae's not coming back. No. Marquise Noel, sadly, uh, cannot come back. Although, if they can figure out a way to get Dorian Finister a red shirt, I mean, fuck it. Why not try to <laughs> find a way to give Marquise Noel another year? Um, but those two guys, um, and, and it's kind of funny. You know, Marquise Noel, the first piece of this team. Keontae Johnson, the last uh mm-hmm piece of this team and they come together with such an amazing season um rank up it ranks up there with just the two best or amongst the best duos in k-state history you know all americans both first team all big 12 um what what is the legacy of those two guys and you know again it's modern college basketball but you talk about legacies of guys of one guy who played what 32 games or whatever it was with k-state and another guy who was only here for two seasons um, but what's your takeaway and what, what will the lasting legacy for those players be? You can start with Marquise and then uh, go to Keontae second. Yeah. I, I mean, what, I mean, what you say is correct. It is special because, you know, the rarity of, of having two players like that together in the same season, I looked it up. I think they're the third best scoring duo at K-State in K-State basketball history with 1,260 points in the season and uh, one of seven or eight 1,000-point duos in a season at K-State. So the impact of them together, um, Marquise Noel, I think, really typifies what Coach Tang can bring out of players 
and his comments about him adjusting to seeing the game differently because of the nature of the way Marquise Noel plays. And I think there's probably very few coaches that would have allowed Noel to play the way he played, which I think is what led K-State to get to an elite eight is, is that freedom that Johnson, that Noel and Johnson to an extent was given. And, you know, I think we as fans were frustrated by it in February when K-State kind of played themselves out of a Big 12 title with some losses in there, particularly the losses to Texas, Texas Tech, and Oklahoma uh, that that were really knocked us out of a Big 12 title contention. But I think through that process, the staff and the players both learned what they can, what they can't do, what they need to rein back on, what they what, you know, where they they can play. And then Noel was such a great leader um, as well and respected by his teammates that no one seemed to get jealous of the freedom. Because I think that's also the a- aspect we don't talk about is teammates can get jealous of, hey, this guy gets to do this and I get to sit on the bench if I do the same thing. And that was kind of part of the magic sauce that that uh, Coach Tang and the staff put together in in all of that, which I think is ultimately what led to that run in the tournament and uh, the joy of this season finishing the way it did. Yeah, I, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head about the secret sauce, and that's the next thing I want to get into. Um, th- this team seemed to have it um, because – on that senior night kind of prep show you and I did, we we talked about how everyone bought into their role. You know, you brought in some of these transfers who were playing their last year of college basketball who were the guy at at least one of their previous stops, and they came to K-State and they bought into the role and they bought into the team. Um, obviously, a lot of that has to do with the head coach, um, but I'm, I'm not naive enough to think that, hey, it's going to be that easy every single year. I would imagine – uh, Tang does not bat a thousand through his year career at K State, being able to assemble a team that truly buys in uh, every single guy to their role. Um, you know, you, you're, you've coached. I've never coached. You, you've been around. Uh, you know, young athletes. I never have. Um, so I'm going to ask you this: how how difficult must it be for someone, uh, you know, at Jerome Tang's level? working with these division one now power five scholarship athletes and get them all to buy into one vision. Uh, when, especially in today's day and age, everyone is so me, 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 how tough of a job must that have been for him and the staff to get everyone pulling in that same direction? Yeah, it's, yeah, I think it's really tough in the portal era to do it. Um, but I think, I think that's part of why coach Tang has such a big staff because I think we talked about it on that show. The more ears, different types of ears you give these players to go to, and because they need to, these guys need to go vent to somebody. And I think if the bigger staff you have, the more different personalities you have, including down to the, the number of GAs that Coach Tang has on his staff, in addition to the extra roles that like Coach Sutton and Coach Bourne have, I think that's very, I think that's part of it that you have plenty of 
people, voices and plenty of ears for players uh, to make sure everybody has a connection because that's really what these these guys all want. Even though they want the NIL money and they want all that stuff that goes with it, they also still want to be a part of a bigger picture and they want to be uh, have a, a, a defined role and they want to, you know, and that, I'm sure all these guys didn't get exactly what they wanted out of the season, but I think most of them got most of what they wanted, which is probably your hope. You're not ever going to make all 13 guys on your on scholarship happy, but you, you gave them all a chance to have a moment and have a role. And pretty much everybody had a moment and a role in the season. And, and then you have to come back together, keep the guys that you have that are staying happy and then still be able to go out and recruit through the portal, bring in the high school kids we're bringing in and start it all over. So that's, that's going to be a, a dynamic that will it'll be fun to watch in this off season is, is what this staff does and how it comes together. Let's dive into the stats real quick before we start kind of looking forward uh, to 2023, 20, 24, and beyond. What what are the one or two things K-State did the best or two or three things that K-State yep. did the best this year? And uh, if you want to also kind of contrast it with what they did bad, do that. Otherwise, I'll, I'll be asking you after the good. Um, so let's hit the good first. So two or three things that K-State did the best this year. Well... Um, the one, the one step that I think kind of came out as the season went along is, is sharing the basketball and, and setting up, up teammates for, um, made shots off passes, assists. And that, part of that is because you had one of the best ever to do it in the big 12 in Marquise Noel, the best, one of the best point guards of all time, averaged over eight assists per game this season is one of, I think, four Big 12 players to ever do that with Doug Gottlieb, TJ Ford, and I uh, can't remember the, the the third one. Um, one of Go- seven Gottlieb or eight. did it twice, so maybe Go- Gottlieb did it, it twice. And then uh, one of seven or eight guys to average over seven assists per game. So that was rarefied air to see a guy average that many assists and put, put that many assist games together. I think 14 or 15 games with double-digit assists. That NCAA tournament game with 19 assists, just ridiculous numbers. But I think it's also indicative of of the way this offensive is built. Because um, the the only reason, the funny thing is, the, the only reason, and one of the only reasons this team had lower assist numbers than it did is because Marquise Noel couldn't pass to himself. And so he had the lowest assist rate on two-point shots made, two-point jumpers, and three-pointers because he shot so many shots off the bounce um, because guys weren't passing to him, you know, not the, not that that had to happen, but um, still 63% uh, of our uh, field goals makes on the season were assisted, which was top 10 in the country. And really that's was indicative of, of when we won games where K-State was 16 and 0 when they had a six, uh, 63% assist rate and 13 and two with 15 or more assists against Ken Palm top 150 team. So that's, that's a, that's a really good correlation to winning and losing because they were four and six when they had 14 or fewer assists in a game. So obviously something that was pretty big. Um, K-State was really good on twos and really balanced on offense um, shots at the rim. Uh, K-State was, was one of the top, one of the upper teams in the country at, at getting shots at the rim. Um, they were 13 
and two when they had a better two point percentage than their opponents. So that was a big deal um, for them to win games. So getting around the rim, uh, even though they were, you know, their percentage of shots made around the rim was just outside the top 100. So they can get more efficient at finishing around the rim. Um, but again, part of that was Noel. Noel shot quite a few shots at the rim and his small size. Number one, he wasn't going to ever get a foul call, even when he got abused. And number two, it was tough to shoot over the bigs when he, when he was driving in there. So those are kind of the main ones. Defensively, the biggest thing they did well was force turnovers. Um, K-State was eleven and uh, nine and two and forcing turnovers on at least uh, 22% of their opponent possessions and 11 and four when forcing at least 14 in the game. Now, the, the sad thing was FAU was really the outlier to that. They forced uh, FAU into 22 turnovers and 31% per, of their possessions. And that was one of the only losses this year where they had a, a turnover rate that high and, and didn't win the games. The only loss this year where they had a turnover rate forced of 25% or more and didn't win. So that was, that was an issue. So th those were kind of the main ones. They were decent three point shooting team. Not great. Um, it did correlate some with winning, um, but not as much as, as uh, assist rate and two pointers. Definitely. Um, so some breaking news just released from the University of Kansas Athletics. Bill Snyder hired as ambassador to the state of Kansas high school coaching. Um, wow. Uh, can you give me a reaction to that? Um, Bill Snyder is a KU athletics employee. That? I, I mean, made it up. I'm just kidding. Okay, I'm just I was kidding. gonna say, I was gonna say <laughs> is that is this an April Fool's? No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, but I'm getting to the point that I would not be surprised by that. Oh no, I I just decided I, I should have played it off, but I, I saw you like trying to like find it on Twitter. So it's like, I like, oh, he, he, like, he's he's gonna he's gonna be like Scott, you're you're making stuff up. I I, I was just like <laughs> it just kind of popped in my head. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna try I had to, to look, this joke on Jimmy. The place uh, to no. find breaking news is Twitter. Yeah, well, exactly. And also, like, me trying to, like, say that, like, on the pot, like, this is being released, like, three days later. There's no no sense in, like, <laughs> doing a breaking news thing. But I, I decided I'd mess with it's you. Fun. Um, so, uh, you, you laid all that out. So, obviously, Marquise Noel, Keontae Johnson, Ish Masood, Desi Sills, um, those are the big contributors. Of course, you know, you, you have your, your role guys off the bench as well. But uh, how does this team kind of transition into the 23-24 season? You're losing um, your two All-Americans. You're losing your uh, number three scorer also, uh, also number three on the team in minutes as well. So you're losing those three big contributors and – um, you know, again, uh, I, I think it's funny how, you know, Tang has all these uh, phrases that has worked their way into the K-State fan vocabulary, you know, the what's next and the whole elevate thing. Well, he's elevated expectations. He's elevated hopes um, quite a bit. Um, you you saw it on Twitter. There, there was some back and forth. Um, I don't think it is. Um, I don't think it's wrong to say the expectation now, the, the elevation has happened that. I, I legitimately think fans will be disappointed uh, no matter what the roster looks like next year if they are not a top 25 team and if they don't make it to the second weekend. Um, that's the, you know, blessing and the curse of all the success Tang has had so early. So so what needs to happen? What 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 needs to happen basically, what, in the next 
seven months, um, you know, whether it's team construction, whether it's changing kind of how they operate on offense and defense to uh, give this team a shot to back up, you know, that epic first season was something uh, that kind of resembles a top 25 team, a team that's going to contend to make that second weekend. Um, I, you mentioned roster construction. I think that's number one is you have to go. I think they, the staff has to go find two to three guys from the portal, uh, experienced guys that can play. You know, I, I put together the numbers. I, I look. I like to look at uh, Ken Palm's continuity of a roster and experience level of a roster, and he basically breaks down each player. And he's just he's simplified it the last couple of years because of the portal to D1 experience. And uh, I looked at the Elite Eight. Every team averaged at least two years of D1 experience on their roster amongst their top eight to 10 players. And so right now, K-State's not close to that. Uh, in, in the Big 12, five of the top seven teams averaged 2.5 or more years of experience. The only two teams that were below that were Baylor and Kansas, and they had two of the three best high school classes coming into the league and the two best high school recruits in Keontae George and uh, uh, Brady Dick. So the the only two teams that didn't have that super experience brought in the two best high school players that are going to be one and dones. So you've got to find a way to get that experience level up. Um, you know, like I said, the average experience level in the final four was 2.6 years. The average experience in the lead eight was 2.6 years of D1 experience. The two teams that were the lowest in experience level uh, in the elite eight were Creighton and FAU. And they both had the best continuity rosters, meaning the most guys coming back from last year's team that played heavy minutes. So you've got to have either continuity on your roster, bringing guys back, or you've got to have experience. You've got to have both. Uh, K-State was number 30 this year in experience level on our roster. Uh, I put together the list um, after at the end of this season between the, the six guys that are leaving, we had 785 Division One games played between those guys, and we had 471 Division One starts between those guys. We, we return like two coming back. We return 195 games, and we return 94 starts. So, so in my opinion, you have to go out and find games and starts and i you know we'll get to the portal looking discussion in a second i'm sure but that's item number one is to find those guys you've got to develop the guys you've got i think at least naquan tomlin can develop into an all big 12 all american perhaps level player Um, after that on the roster i i have hope for cam carter i think he can be better than maybe what fans expect out of him um he wasn't a very experienced player coming into this year well, uh, what but, they expect now if you recall when he came in yeah. I, I i actually think and, and i might have been part of it but i i think i tried to temper it down when he came in um i i think folks were kind of trying to make him the you know second coming of barry brown um yeah. and, and that's not to say that he can't reach those peaks um, but he definitely was not there this year. And I, I think he might have – I think there might be almost too much of a swerve going ditch to ditch with Cam Carter. No, I, th- I think you're right on that. I think it's 
one of those areas where fan expectations kind of tend to get exaggerated or out of whack with, you know, we talked about, you know, in, in, on Twitter and we talked about it on message boards, the swinging of fans, the pendulum of expectation going crazy. I think you're right. But, but I do think he's a guy that can develop and uh, they're counting on to be a kind of a key bridge guy between <clears throat> this year and next year, along with Naquan, along with uh, probably David Gasson as well. So hopefully those three can do it. Then you have your, you know, redshirt guys. We'll see what happens. Hopefully at least one of those guys can be an impact player. And then hopefully at least one or two of your freshmen can be impact players. And then I think you've got it. You've got to go at least two for three on portal kids to be impact players. And I would say minimum impact, minimum impact player would be Desi Sills level impact to that from two of the three guys you bring in. Let's talk about uh, specific names if you want, or if you want yeah. to kind of lay out the archetype. I think you kind of already have, you know, experienced player and obviously we're going to need scoring um, you know, again, disclaimer, this is on the seventh, uh, would yeah. love it if all of a sudden we, we got, you know, <laughs> three studs between now and then, but I, I think, I think they're going to be still relatively patient. Um, I know some folks are, I think there's, there's some dubious stuff out there on Twitter right now, uh, about our involvement with Mr. Bates, uh, who's a, a I think a Kansas city kid, mm -hmm. uh, from Indiana. I would be shocked. I would be absolutely shocked. I know there's some like fake insiders who are trying to say, Hey, it's already done. I'd be shocked if he was a take seeing that we only have three spots open. I hope we're not taking him. I, I think we need to shoot a little bit higher, especially with all we've lost. Um, but if there's names or if you just want to kind of continue to build out like those archetypes of players you think we need to bring in currently only three spots open, how would you like to see those filled? Um, high, high impact guards. Uh, I think number one, probably on my list is Max. Abmas from Oral Roberts. It's Ace Smith, actually. I, I found this out, out during uh, the live show, and then I actually okay. went and I'm, found some highlights. Stu most insane pronunciation for how it's spelled. Ace, Just now, I, I meant to look that up before the show, so yeah, I didn't look Ace like Smith, an idiot. Dude, well, and here's the thing. <laughs> maybe maybe it's just like one big practical joke, but I found people saying Acemas, and I'm like, man, I, I almost feel sorry <laughs> for the kid. Like, you know, how many times has he had to – like explain that throughout his life at this point, 22 years, probably a million times. Yeah. So when, when you look at getting experience right away, that's a guy 123 games, 123 starts at the division one level or Roberts low, little low, lower level, but they've been successful. Uh, he's been coached by a guy that Tang knows well and uh, would have a connection with um, he's, you know, extraordinary shooter shoots for a career, almost nine three pointers a game, shooting thirty nine percent, which is phenomenal. You know, averages a career average of twenty one points per game almost. So he's he's my number one, uh, and then close behind that would be LJ Cryer of Baylor. Um, again, obviously a connected guy to Tang, not quite as experienced. He was injured as. His both his freshman and sophomore years missed some games, but had 31 starts and 31 games last year. He's played 70 games at this level. Um, averaged 11 points a game, but 15 last year in in the toughest Big 12 that we've seen. Um, not a great defensive player, 
and not a great assist guy, but I think uh, as, a, as a guy that would know he could be developed and, and, and come to K-State and have a role um, and some freedom, I think he would be a good fit. I, now I, I do think I do not want, and I, I be careful on how I say this, I don't want necessarily both of those two together because I think you have a 6-1, 6-1 backcourt. I don't know if that's great. You have two guys that I don't know are high-level defenders. Um, but ultimately, if, if I could take one of those two and pair them with Houston's Tremon Mark, who is a great defender, 6'5 guard, not a great shooter, not a great scorer, but again, a guy I think you can develop. He shot 33% from three last year on over three a game, which is not terrible. So uh, those would be my top three, get two of those three guys if possible at the guard spot, which I think this, I, I mean, obviously Coach Tang's even said they want two guards that have played 90 games in college. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I, I, I think I, I think it probably is kind of one or the other. I don't think he can tell, take Cryer and Asmus. Um, but I mean, because look, the, I don't think either one of them are great on defense. And, and we saw the experiment yeah. with two six foot and under guards with Pack and Noel that final yeah. year with Bruce. Um, so I, I, I'm right there with you. Um, and, and despite you know me me deciding to stir the pot on uh, KSO, I, I think that uh, that gentleman from uh, Houston, I think he would pair well with those guys and Cam Carter in the same backcourt. Yeah. Um, let let's let's take one more, uh, not not one more, but I there, there's kind of a debate between fans, and, and you know you, you hear Tang say a couple things in a couple different of his press conferences talking about possibly wanting another big uh, who can do screen and roll, attack the bucket uh, and that type of stuff. First off um, that type of athlete at the five spot, hard to find uh, yeah. second off. It almost kind of seems to fly in the face of how he wanted the team playing or how the team was set up to play towards the end of last year uh, with Tomlin spending a lot of time at the five. Uh, you have Gasson coming back who I think exclusively played as uh, the post player when he was on the floor. You have Colbert coming off of his red shirt. So I was a little surprised to hear that talked about. Where do you land on the need to find a uh, a big in the portal? Uh, do you think that, hey, that is a must get? Or, hey, if you find the right guy, uh, you make it work. Where, where does that kind of land for you? Yeah, it's it is it's a good question. I, I do think... Uh, I've got to think he's thinking of guys that they had at Baylor, like Freddie Gillespie, uh, Jonathan Tomic Tachwa. Um, I think he feels like they don't have that kind of guy. Um, and I think his thought is we got destroyed by Oscar Shibway, and then we got destroyed in many ways by Golden. And that was kind of a key for – FAU winning that game is golden not you know the really the only guy we had that could guard him was Bebe but Bebe was such a liability on the offensive end that we really couldn't play him as well because we were so much less efficient on offense with Bebe especially in that matchup with the four god lineup so I think he wants a guy that has a little more size because even Bebe was not it's not a big big guy so I can see why they want that. And and really, the the sad thing, I think, 
that says is Colbert may need more development than they thought. I think, and I, I think it's been talked about on KSO and, and a couple of posters have brought it up that the fact that Colbert started like top 50 high school recruit as a freshman and then slowly dropped and then slowly fell out of the rankings and then played. It's bizarre that he also just played like two games and 15 minutes at LSU that a coach would do that to a guy and ruin a year, even though it doesn't, you know, with COVID, it kind of makes up that perhaps he's, he's the type of body they want, but he's maybe not going to be ready to be the guy this year. I think that's really what that says to me and, and that they really want that guy. They feel they need that guy. Um, I think, what you're looking at is those guys from Baylor he had, or, you know, even though I know they're not, he's not coming, but Eddie Lampkin type guy that is a big, that can my favorite, my favorite and, and go, you know, go get the ball. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Cause like you said, that's going to be a hard guy. That's going to be the hardest guy to find. I think they can find two of the guards they want because you have Marquise Noel and even, you know, even Keontae is, some people kind of treat him as a guard. He's basically a wing outside player. So you're going to find guys that say, hey, look, I can be the next Marquise or the next Keontae, but there's no next, you know, you're not the next Bebe. You know, that's not, but but you want a guy, and I'm, he's going to sell him on, you can be the next Gillespie, Freddie Gillespie, and be like him and be that guy for us that we need that can score, still athletic enough to uh, – play pick and rolls, switch on defense, all that stuff that David can do. But David Gasson is not a banger and he's not going to be a banger. Um, and cause he's just not, he's probably his body is what it is. He's not going to put on 30 pounds and, and be a low down there. So I think that's probably the reason why. And uh, we'll see what happens with that spot. Cause that's going to be the, probably the most interesting one to watch in my opinion. Yeah, I'm right there with you. It will be interesting to see how uh, that plays out. Uh, the other thing and kind of the, the final thing I, I really had question wise is um, the staff. It, you brought it up. It's a big staff. Uh, we know Curtis Kelly is going to have to move on. He, it was after his second year as a GA. He's going to graduate with his master's um, and he's going to start his coaching career. Um, so you have one GA spot to fill. But I almost kind of, I look at all the talent. You know, from Jerome Tang all the way through the GAs. Uh, and, and again, you look at some of the sacrifices guys like Coach Marco Bourne took, Coach Sutton took, uh, going from being, you know, in, in Marco's case, an associate head coach at Alcorn to being, you know, a quote unquote off the court coach. Again, I, I don't even know what any of the rules are with basketball coaching anymore. Um, I think they loosen those. Like he can't go out and recruit, but I, I see him on the court during games all the time talking to players. So I don't know what the actual rules are, but you look at that, you look at, you know, the strength coach, you look at, you know, uh, you know, just ev everything around this team, how talented the staff is. Um, I wonder, can they keep it all together? Has Coach Tang kind of built something where guys are going to turn down raises turn down promotions to stick around and keep this going because you pointed it out when I talked to coach Sutton coach Bourne they pointed it out even Ch coach Tang has pointed it out 
that they have this big staff. They're able to GAs. They don't have any uh, restrictions. They can go out and run practice. And part of Coach Sutton's entire role is to coach up the GAs so they can run those practices. So, um, you know, you get a little, I, I don't know if nervous is the right word, but that's kind of now where my attention is along with the portal. Um, as some of these staffs are filled out throughout the nation, can you keep the band together? Um, wh- what do you think uh, is going to happen in that sense? And, uh, do you, you know, how long can they keep this group together? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I would not be surprised to see at least one <clears throat> leave, but I, I would guess the the higher chances would be someone like Carpenter or Winchester getting a, a top three assistant spot somewhere. Um, I think Malagy, the, the biggest issue is going to be when does he become a head coach? Because I think that's the question for him. But I think <clears throat> the, the, the key there might be learning from Coach Tang and waiting for the best opportunity. I think right now it would be low major level probably for him just because he hasn't been around it that long. Um, maybe a little bit of a fear that you lose uh, Roddy Perry to to a lead assistant coach at a high major program, but I'm not sure that will happen. I think I would, I would guess dreams with Tang for a while. Like Dowling, I think, might be the one that I would be least afraid of losing. I also think Sutton and Bourne are probably here at least another year because they have a role as older guys that is pretty unique. And, you know, I think it was coach Sutton with, with, uh, with one interview I heard mention mentioned he, you were talking about the rules. He was mentioning the rules this summer are supposed to change. And those director of strategies, chiefs of staff will have more opportunities to be on the court with guys than they've had in the past. So I think that may help keep those guys around because that's really what they want to do. And I think, you know, just the uniqueness of this staff um, <clears throat> with, you know, all the, you know, they've brought up all the lead four coaches are all African-American, which is unique and I think special. And I think something that may help hold this group together too. Awesome. Well, we're going to end with uh, a, a few kind of more fun questions uh you know again you'll be on multiple times throughout the off season and before you know it, it it'll be blitz month again and we'll, and we'll get to uh start getting our predictions for football out there uh but the the first kind of more fun question is if austin carpenter came to you and said jimmy i want your input on the new court what is the one detail you would like to see in the new court design um my my detail i would like to see is octagon shaped wood pattern around center court and then lavender highlights of some sort those two things they don't have to be a lot of lavender but some lavender just to tie in lavender and then the octagon wood i think would be very cool all right the next one of all the different coaching polos quarter zips uh, I think that was early. It. I don't know if they did anything except for quarter zips and polos of all the ones that they rocked this year. If you could grab one of them for yourself, which one would you choose? I like the gray wildcat script. I think the best just because <clears throat> I don't have a gray one <laughs> right now. I've got purple and I've got lavender uh, and I've got white, maybe the black one with the, the one that you can buy now actually with the, cocaine willy on it um but i like gray i like 
you know, we always always like big green, big game grays together. So something gray would be kind of cool. Speaking of big game grays, if you were going to be part of the next uniform design team, which I'll say this, uh, you know, we're, we're in our exclusive negotiating window with Nike. Um, I don't actually know if I think we might have a full more season with the current uniforms. I know that some folks are wanting a change for the upcoming season uh, until we finalize an extension with Nike. I don't know if that's going to happen, but regardless, if you are going to do a design for any new uniform, uh, it can be a base, it can be an alternate, whatever. What are some design elements you'd like to see the next refresh? Um, number one, bring back the uh, the serpentine script for the number, not just a block number. I mean, I, I miss that from the Poland Clemente jerseys. The the whites were probably my favorite base white uniform. Wildcat script is, of course, my favorite. All right, so <clears throat> time out with with the P- Poland Clemente. Did you like the hyper elite with the design in the back, or the one with the racing racing stripe better? Because both like, of those are iconic. They were both iconic. I think I like the racing stripes better. I thought that was kind of a cool concept the way those were put together. So, uh, I mean, I, I like the font to be consistent, and I like the simplicity of the racing stripes probably. But yeah. that's what I would say. And then just keep rocking Wildcat script as much as you can. And and I would say make uh, lavender. The funny thing is you can wear lavender, the full lavenders as a road or a home uni and pull it off and I think be okay with NCAA. So keep rocking those as well. All right. And then the, the final kind of funny question, uh, you, you know me, I, you know, I, I've, some have been said, I, I wage a war on the power cat. Uh, you know, I wouldn't go that far, but Hey, you know, if the shoe fits, I should probably get it in a size 11 and a half and wear it. Uh, would you Jimmy KSU underscore fan Goheen, be mad if they completely erase the power cat from basketball? Probably. I do still think it has a place. Uh, I do still think it's iconic to (laughs) K-State and recognizable. Um, I do think a lot of your average Joe fans um, might recognize a power cat over cocaine Willie or even sailor Willie and just think and confuse it with Northwestern. Um, Not a lot, but some. So I do, I, I still think, the power cat has a role at K-State and shouldn't go away in basketball included. Uh, but I like the use of secondary logos more and more for basketball. And I would like to see the secondary logos used a bit more for football, hopefully in the future. All right. Bonus question. If you're going to design the one alternate helmet that K-State were to wear and probably losing, what what would you like to see? <laughs> I would say Sailor Willie Head similar to some other, I mean, I think Missouri did one with their Arthur and, Evans. And Baylor's done Tiger. it. NC Baylor's State, done it. Yeah. NC State. So the great look, the, great the look. Arthur Evans, Sailor Willie had Arthur Evans, the goat of college design in the forties and fifties and sixties who managed to design a logo for seemingly every college in the country based on the same logo, but Hey, the dude was making cash, so I can't hey, blame him. If the logo slaps, it slaps, man. And and I, I think it does. I think it does. So 
I love that. Uh, that's all we had. Uh, as I as I chatted with you, I'm sure there will be another episode here in the next few weeks that we'll record uh, to make sure everyone gets their Jimmy fix as uh, we, we kind of take a hiatus of recording shows weekly. I'll, I'll, like I said, the show is going to go on for another year, at least another year. I will be taking a break, but I'll pre-record episodes. I'm going to keep that Monday streak alive. So folks will be hearing you again relatively soon. Uh, but just tell boneheads, tell K State fans, tell anyone listening anything you'd like to. Um, it was a fun year. Um, you know, we had the the my my Twitter poll about which was better this year yeah, or the f- most fun thirteen, the the most best fun. year of all time. <clears throat> so uh, I was a bit surprised it was four to one this year. I think I do. I you, you got to admit that some of that's recency bias, but regardless, two years like this in a span of what thirteen is a pretty good run for K-State and something not to be taken lightly. I think you are right <clears throat> to expect that again next year is, is probably obscene and absurd. So uh, hopefully fans can, can Your accept. Your words, not mine. I did not say obscene <laughs> and obscure <laughs> because people don't like when I use that type of language, people. Well, well that you get those, you get the, well, you're just accepting mediocrity fans, which like to throw that, that, I'm not a guy that likes to point out straw men, but that is maybe the biggest straw man argument of you just accept mediocrity. No, you have to be realistic with with rebuilding programs and rebuilding teams and, and everybody else is trying to win too. Like it's not just K-State in the vacuum. Like other teams are good and have good coaches. And this, this league, the 14 team league is going to be extremely hard next yeah. year. Yeah, so. it might be an off-season project to figure out how how many teams a year are uh, top twenty-five, let alone top fifteen yeah. in both men's basketball and football every year. I would imagine there's only maybe like three or four in the top twenty-five every year, and I think there's probably some years in the final poll there's zero that are in the top fifteen of both. Yeah, right now it would be. Off the top of my head this year, it'd be us in Alabama. Just you know? us in Alabama. That is yeah. it. I, so. I did the tweet that made KU fans mad, uh, <laughs> but it, it, it is just us in Alabama. And then, and this is what made all the countless KU trolls mad. And, and I was just stating a fact uh, that K State, you know, one of only two to be 15 and 15 and finishing in the top spot in the polls in both sports in the state of Kansas. It was just facts. It's a fact. The coach's poll had us. I said nothing else. I was just presenting facts. Well, I mean, you also have the fact that UConn just passed Kansas as a blue blood. So, I mean, what do you do with that one? I actually, that that (laughs) might actually be a a fun conversation uh, to have uh, later on. You know, some of these phrases like blue bloods and all this type of stuff. I do think if I was defining blue blood and it's funny because, you know, that's like an old kind of derogatory term for like the rich over like in England. Yes. Uh, so it's <laughs> kind of funny that it's like, Oh no, we, we, and it's like old money. Like, look, I think you probably have to have a little bit more history of success before 1999 to be considered a blue yeah. blood or old money or that type of stuff. Uh, but I think there's no doubt. I think UConn, I think you could make an argument maybe is the best basketball program or at least the highest achieving basketball program since 1999 and and i don't think i KU doesn't have an argument during that time frame um because you know as they've as they've made sure to tell us you know you know where you finish in the big 12 
actually doesn't matter. It's only March. Yeah. Except and for when you lose in the round of 32. <laughs> then it's all about. And even if you count, go back to modern era, 1985 or six, when the tournament expanded to 64, coinciding with three point line, coinciding with shot clock. <clears throat> KU does have three titles in that run. So I'll give them credit. But UConn still has five. And what a, what a, what a team to be a fan of. You make six Final Fours and you win five titles. Like, that's that's a pretty good batting average for titles. It's like the most, like, UConn basketball is like a more extreme Bruce Weber. Like, yes. you know, because <laughs> Bruce Weber, again, and, and, you know, everyone's probably like, hit, you know, th- this seems to happen on occasion. I'm like, all right, final words. Oh, no, here's 15 more minutes. So I, I apologize to you and to the listeners for this, but That's a people good are punching their steering wheel. Why are you bringing up Bruce again? But, you know, the whole <laughs> knock on Bruce is like he had three of the, you know, I guess since we have another Elite Eight year, so three of like the like eight to nine best modern era K-State basketball seasons of all time. Yeah. You know, he has yeah. three. Lon had one. Frank had one. Um and then now Tang has one. So that that's what that's three. So he had three of the six best seasons yeah. uh, in K-State basketball, modern era history, but he also probably had three, at least well, probably two, at least two, maybe three of the worst yeah. seasons yes, in modern K-State basketball history. Yeah. So UConn basketball is kind of like a more extreme high, but maybe not the lows, but like they miss the tournament all the time. They do. They do all the time. They... Like, They've missed like five and, or six since 1999, maybe even well, more. The, the crazy thing is, you know, when they were American conference team and looked to be down in the dumps and the football team looked like it was going to go under, like just five or six years ago, that program was down in the dumps and looked like it may be falling off um, to mid-major status. And, and then Dan Hurley, great job rebuilding it. I mean, that's, it's kind of wild. Yeah. And, and they've won their national ties with three different coaches. Yeah. I mean, that's why, and again, credit where credit's due, uh, KU, uh, you know, they, they went to the final four with three different coaches, uh, North Carolina, all sorts of different coaches, but like yeah. Duke, it's real. they have one, one random yeah. final four, but it's basically all coach K, uh, Michigan yeah. state, uh, two guys. Tom Izzo, yeah. Well, well, well Keith Coe was really good too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, d- didn't he win a national? T- or just yeah, he did. Like, yeah, yeah. They fed. So, I looked it up when we played them. They fed two head coaches in forty-seven years, forty-eight years. Yeah. To two two uh, multiple titles and a bunch of Final Fours with those. But two. UCLA, I mean, you know, <clears> they, they've had a couple guys take them to Final Fours, but like almost all their national titles is like with one guy. So that that's kind of what makes. UConn even crazier. Yeah, and Mich- Michigan State's kind of the opposite of Utah. UConn won title in eight Final Fours. Yes, for, yeah, so that's wild. No, I, I wish we had eight Final Fours, yeah, but because <laughs> you know all this kind of like kind of backhanded talk, all this type of stuff. I, I will fully admit, damn, I I really want a Final Four. Yeah. Um. So it, it's why I, I think Tang is going to get us. I I here's my prediction. Here's my prediction. You can either match my prediction. Or you don't have to. That's fine. There's no stakes to this. But I, I do predict Jerome Tang will become the first K-State basketball coach to win a regular season title, a postseason conference title, and take us to a Final Four. Not necessarily in the same year, but before Jerome Tang is done at K-State, 
he will accomplish all three of those things and become the first K-State coach to do all three of those. I agree. I think that's going to happen as well, 100%. Perfect. So didn't mean to cut you off. I will now, (laughs) again, give you a second chance to say whatever you want to everyone out there. All right. Enjoy the spring. Um, Enjoy the good weather. Um, It's tough because the Royals suck. So baseball is going to be rough this year. Um, But get out to the K. Uh, enjoy an afternoon or evening of of, of bad Major League Baseball and uh, look forward to uh, next year in K-State circles and what's going to happen with uh, football and basketball. And if, if you like K-State baseball, have fun with that. But it looks like they're going to kind of be middle of the pack, Big 12 type team again. Um, they're not on any. Uh, I saw the latest NCAA tournament poll and they're not close. So um, <clears throat> go Cats. and. Uh, Thanks for having me on again, Scott. There you go. Also, sporting sucks. So, like, it's it's truly <laughs> like we're we're in the we're in the dark ages. Uh, you know, the NFL draft will be fun as a Chiefs fan, and uh, you know, as a Wildcat, a handful of names to watch. Yeah, true. Uh, but it's 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 dark ages for sports for a while. Um, but yeah, that's all we have. Like I said, I hope everyone had a great weekend. I hope everyone has a great Monday as they're listening to this. So for Jimmy, for Chauncey, the best dog in the world, and for all K-State fans, we love you guys, and go Cats. Hail to the purple, hail to the white, wildcat in spirit, wildcat in fight, hail alma mater from sea to sea, onward forever, hail victory. Ba-dum, 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 ba-dum. Fight, UK State Wildcats for alma mater fights. Glory in the combat for the purple and the white. Faithful to our colors. We will ever be a fighting, ever fighting for a wildcat victory. Fight, 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 fight. You can save wildcats for alma mater. Fight, 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 fight. Glory in the combat for the purple and the white. Faithful to our colors, we will ever be fighting, ever fighting for a wildcat victory. Go state.
Social Podcast Network.